Welcome to the Boiled Owl Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live, and there's lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. (laughs) Oh my God, you're frightening. I'm Sam. (laughs) Sam, you're frightening me. (laughs) Well, that's typical. Oh, Don. I got to tell you, I, so I'm kind of torn. I, I, I've got a couple things going on, and I'm not sure what to tell you. So uh, chocolate or vanilla, choose. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I prefer vanilla to chocolate ice cream. If it's ice cream we're talking about, if it's uh, candy bars, I think I'd like chocolate. Oh, you're not making this easy. All right. So, yeah, so I, got, uh, I went to Chicago uh, recently. And uh, I what went for, well, I went for a conference, but this conference was a little different. Mm. This was the international Mr. Leather contest. <laughs> All right. <laughs> now you're uncomfortable. <laughs> I just don't, I'm just a little concerned about how much you're going to share. <laughs> no, the pictures, if only. Uh, this is predominantly a gay men event. There's lots of people there, though, but lots of gay men. So I've got a lot of friends who go to this who are sober. And they've talked about for years about um, the recovery meetings that happen at this event. There were two meetings a day, one at noon and one at 11 p.m. And the noon meeting was... Obviously not the type of attire that you're going to find people wearing in a meeting here in little old Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, No, I saw some pictures on your Facebook page, and I just (laughs) scrolled past real quickly. Yeah, those were the tame pictures. Well, I bet they were. (laughs) Um, The the nighttime meeting, the 11 p.m. meeting, is, let me just say, think Princess Leia's bikini, but less. That's what I wore to the meeting. (laughs) Sam, 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 Sam. And And I was going to (laughs) say, did you have to wear it today? (laughs) I mean, I didn't want to remark upon it, but it's... You could at least put a shirt on. Well, no. Um, And so... It was lots of fellowships were represented at these meetings. So it was a recovery meeting. Just a recovery meeting. How many people were there? uh, At the largest one was probably 40. Wow. The cool thing was uh, it was shared several times about how this is the first time I've ever sat in a meeting and been able to completely be myself. Talk about things that I can't talk about in other meetings. Wear things that I can't wear in other. Be completely open about who I am in a meeting. Now, granted, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna be open with who I am with my sponsor and with trusted friends in recovery. Right. But in a meeting, I'm gonna try my best not to scare people off. Right. It was an interesting experience to be able to have these things come together of recovery and kink into yeah. the same room. And that was cool. That's um, very cool. There's lots of ways to live and lots of ways to live sober. This works for you. For me. <laughs> and lots of other people. What I found myself getting into was up until 11 o'clock before there was a meeting. And, you know, I had some friends, so I would, like, go grab a bite to eat with friends and stuff like that. But there were these periods of time where... All I had was walking around in the hotel lobby area and stuff, and it felt like walking the circuit at a bar because there were a ton of people that I didn't know and lots of drinking going on and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know about the straight bars, but in gay bars, there's the walking the circuit thing where you're just walking the circuit around the bar space to see who you know or someone to talk to or all that kind of stuff. And that is not a comfortable space for me. I just never did like it, and I didn't like it in Chicago. So I had not been in the meeting yet. I hadn't really connected with the recovery community at that event until 11 o'clock that night. I got into the meeting, and I didn't share yet. I, I didn't plug in completely, but I started to feel a little bit more me. And then I went to bed, 
And the next morning, I made myself stay in bed in an unhealthy way because I didn't want to go deal with that again. And so I stayed in bed until like 10 o'clock. And then I got up and then I went to the meeting at noon. And that's when I became a part of. And that's when I decided that this event was going to be a recovery event for me. And that is what someone else had shared in that same meeting. It was one of those cool things where here's this thing that is not a recovery conference. Yet for a large number of those of us who were there who are in recovery, it is. It doesn't have the workshops. It doesn't have all that stuff going on. But it's still a recovery conference because we're connected with each other. And our recovery is a part of our lives. And we are able to comfortably be there once I become connected with the rest of that community. And when that happened, my whole experience of that conference changed. And the rest of the weekend was fun. And that was pretty cool. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Well, ain't a whole lot to say there. <laughs> well, you went to a, what did what did you call it? Mr. Leather. International Mr. Leather Contest. Mr. Leather. So I'm the other way around from you. So I think what I'm going to have to look for is an international Mr. Frosty soft serve ice cream <laughs> event and see if I can't include some recovery in that. You can include you can include recovery in anything. <laughs> I told you we went on the cruise in February. That I've big been gay to an cruise. AA meeting on a cruise. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it, and when you connect, it changes the, it does. the experience. It changes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it doesn't have to be a recovery event for it to become a recovery event. Yeah. We have a guest, a special guest, a very patient guest. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, who are you? My name is Lorna, and I am an alcoholic. Hey, Lorna. Thank you, you for joining us. Welcome, it's Lorna. My pleasure. You, Absolutely. You drove over from Raleigh. I did. Nearby, and you contacted us because you listened to the podcast. I did. She's an owl. Ooh, oh, we have owls? <laughs> yes. Is I, that, is that <laughs> what our fan... Is, are you a fan? Well, I guess we should ask. Our, our listeners, not our fans. <laughs> yeah. Our listeners are called yeah. owls? That's no. I, there needs to be something. The, something else. Yeah, we'll it's have better to work than on Alets, that. I guess. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> maybe boilers. There you go. Boiler. Like Boiler. <laughs> Boiled. Well, I'm glad that you reached out to us and were able to come over and be on the podcast. I remember I, I had talked to my sponsor after you guys had sent me back the mail, and the, her first response is, "You're going to do it, right?" <laughs> and I said, "Yes, ma'am." <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I love that you checked in with her on it. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That's why I have her. That's why I keep her. You know? There you go. When did you get sober? Uh, June 26, 1994, on my 32nd birthday. Wow. Which is 25? 25 years. I will be, as my friends, they add it together because they say it's too complicated to separate them, so I'll be 82 this year. <laughs> <laughs> I think I look darn good. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) But I will be having the big sober bash for 25 years. I just, I cannot believe I've been doing this for 25 years. That is fantastic. Now, when you say a sober bash, is that something specific to your home group or are you having a party? I I have, I, I celebrated because it is my birthday. So my last big party was for double nickels, 55. Mm -hmm. But you know, it's like the recovery people in my sober or, you know, the non sober people in my life. It's, I always remind them that the party on my birthday will always be a sober one, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> because there'll be recovery people there. And, you know. Yep. So it's always a lot of fun. Cool. At last, I had a big bash for 50 and I had one for 49 because I wanted one last, you know, party <laughs> in my 40s. <laughs> I hear you. But uh, I am notoriously known as I cook and I know things. That's what people say about me. So I am a I am very much a cook. It's a hobby. When I retire, I will cater. I swear. Cool. But uh, do you do you bring cakes to the oh, home group? Yes. yes, I bring. I gotta go to your home group. <laughs> oh, you were not. Well, believe- she already told us to come. I mean, yeah. <laughs> when I do hospitality for my home group, they send out text. As far as I know, because <laughs> I bring in a full brunch spread. 
you know. That's what? Great. That's great. Okay, so uh, first things first. Tell me a little bit about your home group because I have not heard about a hospitality um, service position anywhere in any groups here in Greensboro. Me neither. Oh, we have uh, we have the the chair. Uh, we have the cleanup committee. We have hospitality. And the hospitality, they take on the responsibility for bringing the snack or whatever. And we, you know. Oh what time's the meeting? Is it? In- 1230. It's a noon. noon oh, okay. And forgive me for this, please. You know, anybody at Oasis, I'm so sorry. I've always referred to it as the little white haired old lady group. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have white hair. I did. You're- I did. <laughs> <laughs> And we have ways of taking care of those things. Yes, we do. Secretive um, white hair. It, it's very recently been changed. It's only yeah. been within a couple of months. You think we I should dye hospitality. my goatee? Absolutely. <laughs> Purple. I was thinking magenta, but you know. Magenta's <laughs> good. I, uh... Anyway. But we do have hospitality and people bring out an assortment. It could be somebody that just stopped and got a fruit tray or a you know, salami tray. But it's always, you know, there's always something. Interesting. That's cool. I the last I heard about um, committees uh, and what did they call the the, the hus- they called their hospitality people sweeties. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and this was at a meeting in California. Uh, of course, of course. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's sweet. I love that y'all have got that going on. I mean, I re- I remember when I first went to a meeting in Raleigh uh, many years ago. Uh, it completely threw me off because the the one year chip was a blue chip. Yeah. In that yes. word. Yeah. So stuff like this, like things are different. I went to a meeting there that started off with everybody in one big room mm-hmm. and then it split off yep. and I had never experienced that. Um, there were different topic meetings that were held in others and then we came back together at the end of the meeting. Um, that was cool. So it's, it's neat to know that just an hour and a half from here is some completely different ways. Uh, it's, it's just interesting that the, the, the formats of meetings are so different. And what we consider normal and what, you know, I was kidding last night at a meeting that I was chairing the meeting and I was kidding. And I said, it took everything I could not to do it West, West Coast style because we give chips at the beginning of the meeting. You know, uh-huh. we don't do it at the end. We do it in the beginning. And one of the traditions in my Wait, home, where's group, Where's Phoenix? Phoenix. I got sober in Phoenix. Okay. So that's where you're saying we. Yes. We would, uh, we'd pass out the chips and anybody got a medallion, it would be passed around the room and, and prayed over before it went back to the owner, Mm -hmm. you know, and I missed that. I missed that tradition, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's just one of those strange things that when you people move around and you do different things, you find things that you miss. Yeah. You know, I, I, well, that can be really upsetting. To move to another location. I mean, I, how many people have you heard that said, you know, well, they tried to go and it was so different that they just couldn't connect and then they end up drunk because they they, they couldn't find a way to accept the different ways of doing it. It's hard. It's really different, different places. And I travel a whole lot. What I always think is that all the differences, the little differences in the way the chips are given out or this or that are the things that aren't important. And everything that's Mm-mm. the same is the stuff that's really important in AA. That's true. And, and mm-hmm. I need to discover that because it can be disturbing, <laughs> some of the stuff that's different. But in truth, it's not that important. I mean, it's, as far as I know, it still opens with a prayer and ends with a prayer. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so that's good enough for me. And I mean, I have traveled. We, I travel quite a bit. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, throughout my sobriety and it was always different every place was different i used to i used to go to this one place that every time they said the the prayer at the end of the meeting you know the chant you know the keep coming back and everybody screamed as loud as they could sober and it used to scare me to death. sober, sober? <laughs> yeah keep coming back it works if you work it sober <laughs> I was like, people have different things that they that they join in on in yeah. different places in the country. Oh, the call and response in California is crazy. Uh, the only time I've experienced that here is in, in young people in AA conventions. And it's crazy because somebody will be reading how it works and there are call and response type of things, except there's no real call. It's just certain lines. Think go, think the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Same type of thing is going on. And frankly, if they could throw toast at some point, they would. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> It's a it's a curious thing. <laughs> the look that Lorna's giving right now. 
I might have thrown toast a time or two. <laughs> so what, Lorna? Yes. You got sober where? Phoenix, Arizona. Phoenix? On my 32nd birthday. 32nd? It was absolutely by accident. What the hell was going on on your 32nd birthday? That I had, uh, this is, this is, I'm old, I'm old. I was, uh, I got here entirely by accident. God did for me what I could not do for myself. Absolutely. Just before my 32nd birthday, there was a new drug on the market. I feel old every time I say this. <laughs> called Prozac. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard of that. I've heard of that too. And I thought it would help. Because at the time that I got sober, I completely had lost my will to live. And I didn't really seek anything out. I mean, I was incredibly suicidal, maybe a touch homicidal and genocidal might have been in there a little bit, but I didn't want to live. I mean, I woke up every morning and it's like shave of the legs, cut the femoral artery, one or the other. It didn't matter to me. I had ceased wanting to live. And I sought help and I went to this treatment center, not a recovery treatment center. I went to this counseling center and I'm an alcoholic dope fiend. You know, Mm -hmm. we lie on general principle. And I walked in and they handed me a 10-page intake form and I answered it. And I answered it honestly. Mm. God doing for me what I could not do for myself. Yeah. And they called me back and they said, Miss, so blah, blah, blah. We have no doubt that you have a various serious problem with depression. In fact, you are non-functionally depressed. Now, I'm a speed freak and I slept 10 hours a day. Does that give you an idea? Wow. Yes. They said, uh, we have no doubt but we would like to address your drug addiction first. And me being me, I got the brilliant plan that uh, I was living with a man who was horribly abusive. That situation was rotten and horrible and stunk. And I wanted out of it. And I thought, well, if I go in eight-week rehab, I can get the restraining order. I can get him out of my life, and I could be free of him. So that's what I did. And so I entered rehab thinking, you know, I had enough honesty to say that, well, they said it doesn't matter if you use between now and the time you come in, but, you know, you have to stay sober during the time of treatment. And I said, you know, you know, but we'd like you to stay sober for this week ahead of time. And I said, you know, you already told me I didn't have to. So. <laughs> that's an odd request. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> you already told me I didn't have to, so you know what I did. Yeah, right. And uh, I was going into rehab on a Monday. My 32nd birthday was a Sunday, and I woke up and I went to uh, take care of my morning needs, shall we just say. The man that I was living with had done it all, and that was my first sober resentment. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I decided I wasn't going to participate. I wasn't going to go buy any booze. I wasn't going to buy anything. I wasn't because I was going to rehab the next day. And so I was sitting in rehab, and I talk to people all the time, never underestimate God's moments of clarity. Because that place where your head and your heart touch and you know it's truth. I had three moments of clarity that God granted me sitting in that rehab. One was, maybe dope is a problem in your life. I'm in an eight-week rehab, for God's sake. Yeah, but uh, it, you need that realization. It was the realization that would I have ever been with this man? I mean, you know, would I have ever done the things that I'd done? You know, it was that absolute realization. And the second one, because I am the standard alcoholic, the egomaniac with the inferiority complex. I really had that moment where I said, what makes me really think I'm any different than anybody else sitting here? And the last one was, what do you got to lose? And it's like, my life was not working. Mm -hmm. And uh, I somehow, that switch. So I didn't, I got here out of a point of desperation I always tell people when I read the big book, the first line that stuck out is on page eight, that quicksand that spread out all around me, self-pity, you know? I understood that line. I felt that line. Now, what's the line? Quicksand is it, it says, you know, I stood at the edge, quicksand spread all around me, you know? I was, I was beaten at last. Uh-huh. You know, nothing could say of the pity and bitter self, self-pity and harassed, you know? It's just... Self-loathing, which mm-hmm. I I had in spades, yes. you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I can never tell anybody why. I just said okay. And I I look back, and there's a lot of moments. There's a lot of moments. I still laugh because you know when you're young, you don't know anything, and you realize years later that it's a cliche. 
But I remember talking to a guy on the phone one night, and he said, Lorna, he says, I'll tell you what. He says, you just come do it our way. Give us 90 days. Mm. He says, I swear to God, if it doesn't change your life, I will refund your misery. And I heard that. Yeah. I heard that. You know, and it's like, I really was drilled through my head. I didn't want what I had. That's, but that right there is what makes it possible. My sponsor said a similar thing to me in that I had written out a whole philosophy of life. I was, you know, so that I had it all packaged and called it my own Bible. And it had spiritual quotations from all kinds of areas and everything. But what it all boiled down to, God is in me and I am God and I have to fix myself. And I just ask myself to fix myself. So, And the difference between that and AA is there is a higher power and I'm not it. That, that's a whole different thing. Yeah. The uh, So the fundamental core of it was different. And he said, he, he read it and said, this is all really good and well thought out. Why don't you take this and put it on the shelf for three months and just Focus on AA. Do everything that AA asks for you. Focus. Learn what you can about it and and try it out. And then we'll come back to it and look at it and compare and see what works and, you know, what what doesn't work. And I was going, what, three months? I, I can do that. And that's really what made me give up fighting a different way of thinking about the world. Oh, absolutely. I... I you know, I, I've always said to people, you, as long as you keep seeking, you will find the person that you need. You know, there's a, what is it, a bolt to fit every nut up, you know, we're all crazy. And I needed the sponsor that wasn't going to soft spoke me. You know, mm-hmm. I needed that person that was just going to be sarcastic and biting. And, you know, I, I tell from the podium this story about, uh, I made the mistake one time in front of her saying that uh, um, I lived in a very close-knit neighborhood and my one girlfriend was with me and she's like, are you going to go over and clean Stephanie's house today? She's having a baby and stuff. I'm like, no. And my sponsor looked at me and she said, that seems like an area of service to be a (laughs) maximum service to other people. (laughs) And I looked at her and she goes, I think you need to clean somebody's house. And I'm like, (laughs) and I did. I went with the rest of the neighborhood, and I cleaned her house. Now, the kick of that story is I was over five years sober when she told me to do that, mm. and I paid somebody else to clean my house. You know, <laughs> I did not want to clean that woman's house. What was the experience like? Did you get anything out of it? Or It was, it was freely giving of yourself. Yeah. It was the self-sacrifice, self, getting out of self. I mean, it's, my whole problem is self. You know, mm. it's like my self-centered, my self delusions my you know all those things i mean if i live in self i'm not the person i want to be i'm not the person that god wants me to be and that's when i have to remember i mean i my prayer every day every day is god thank you for everything you've given me everything you've taken away and all that you've left me with please make me a better person today than i was yesterday that is the prayer or part of the prayer I say at the beginning and end of every meeting, because I do not, I'm one of those others, prayer of your choice in silence. Mm-hmm. You know, so that is what runs through my head every meeting. That's interesting. So you're really talking about asking a higher power for help. Oh, yeah. How, how did, did you have problems with that when you first, like you were going to do that three months? Did you have, had you ever asked a higher power for help before? I, uh, <laughs> okay, but there's no way around some of this. I once heard a person that had gone uh, to Tibet and they said it didn't count against their sobriety because they did the opioid, you know, in order to find God, you know, in that case, I've never been high a day in my life. You know, <laughs> <laughs> if that's your criteria, <laughs> yeah. I've never been high a day in my life. <laughs> uh, I am a product of the 70s, prayer and meditation. I have meditated since I'm probably 10, 11, 12 years old. You know, I've, I've always used meditation as a centering, calming, everything. I just never thought about really asking God to run it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I sought meditation to connect with that Zen, that peace and that euphoric feeling that you hit when you get that calm of mind. Right. I never once thought, oh, maybe you ought to run the show. <laughs> I never once occurred to me, right. you know, to me that to touch that spiritual oneness was a feeling of euphoria. There is no place like Zen, you know, it is the utopia of your own mind, so to speak. Earth muffin would never guessed it, would you? Right, <laughs> right. But it's it's really about seeking a way. Um, it's kind, you know, I really kind of think that what I was doing with meditation before I got sober in AA right. was really about getting out of myself, mm-hmm. just like, and it was real effective to take some acid. Yeah, that's <laughs> and I, that would get me out of myself, and I could quickly. Uh, do it really, really nicely. So it's a whole different thing that we're doing in AA. It is. It's it's a very different way to say. So you had that, you already had that in there that there is something greater than you. So you were looking at from the Eastern theology of like Zen, Mm -hmm. that there is something greater than me that I can connect to. I just never thought about asking for its advice ever. Never right. occurred to me to say, hmm. you know, come come help me with my crazy. So I, did you do that sometime and oh, got an answer? Absolutely. Can you give absolutely. an example of the first time that you did it that like... God, I'm going to sound like such an earth muffin. I was, I was in... Deep, I know these stories are crazy. And I, I was in a deep prayer and I had, had done this. I've been on a long drive and I can, you know, I get to that point where your head just kind of goes in that zone. Mm-hmm. And so I had been talking to God for like a couple hundred miles. (laughs) And I pulled into my driveway and I'd stopped. So when I stopped, I actually found the focal point and went a little deeper. And I saw that focal point and I had been arguing with God all the time because I I want the big G. I want you to write the, you know, cloud G in the sky that says, here I am. This is what I want you to do. A burning bush. Yeah. The the sky to open up and skittles to yeah. fall down. Yeah, saying you know it's like I want you to be a conduit of my peace or so. You know who knows what I thought, but something big. So I was sitting there in the drive and I I parked. So I started into that one and I still I, I as I said I lived in Arizona. We have mail delivered to the door, and my mailbox was on the side of the house and I had a butterfly on it. Yes, I am that kind of earth muffin. And I zoned in on that butterfly and I got to that point and I hurt. I heard that voice that I know was not mine that says, you want to understand my mind? You're scared to death of your own. And I stopped trying to figure out God that day, that moment, that second. And I just said, okay. (laughs) Wow. Okay. I don't know the answers. I know how to find peace. I know how to find tranquility. I know how to do those steps. I know how to take people through those steps. I know one of the greatest things I've ever heard a sponsor say is that they, the chatter has stopped in their head. You know? It's an amazing event. And I love that about my life. I love that I can ask for peace. My life is crazy right now. It's absolutely crazy. But as long as I stay on that beam, that I can still see it, that I can still walk it, I'm going to be okay. Do I like the external things that are happening with me? And it just, I have an ill sister and it's been complicated. But as long as I stay there, I'm good. You know, I am absolutely good. And I'm at peace. And I can still do what the book tells me to do. Be of maximum service to others. You know? And the reason for being of maximum service to others is because it's rewarding, which gives life purpose. I remember sitting on the side of my bed. I was in 11th grade. And I would sat there and was going, there's no point in life. <laughs> life is meaningless. And that meaninglessness, <laughs> meaninglessness was what I drank at, to tell you the truth. Hmm. Because I felt like, really, everything is meaningless and the world is absurd. That's the way that I drank, and that's, so I was like a, a dadist or surrealist. I'm going to be as absurd as possible because life is absurd. And I got into AA and discovered that by 
being available to other people, I had moments that were incredibly rewarding. And I think that is why sobriety is a wonderful thing. I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I mean, it's it's a hard thing to tell people when you talk to your non-recovery friends. And, you know, I always tell people, you know, and I can't do that because that messes with my Zen. And I don't say it messes with my recovery. It messes with anything. I said, nope, messes with my Zen. You know? <laughs> uh, like what is it you can't do? Well, if they're, if they're getting on the bandwagon of gossiping or, you know, doing uh, this or doing something else, I'm like, mm-hmm. mm, nope, can't messes with my Zen. You know? <laughs> and, yeah, uh, that's a great statement. And it's become a joke. I mean, and people, when they get to know me better, know that I'm sober. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they're always like, oh, <laughs> it's their realization that it's like, I can't afford to act out on those behaviors. I can't afford not to apologize to my husband when I've done something that's probably not the nicest thing in the world. You know, I have to make those things. I don't have to make those things. I have to be willing to own my part and stuff. And when I own my part, it's so much easier to let other people be who they are. You know, I, uh, I recently got chewed by that sponsor woman because I was in, uh, I was in California. It was, it was a very rough week and I called her up you know, you recently so, got the, the, chewed. You, you're still oh, chewed. in the same contact with the same sponsor. Oh yeah, and uh, nice. Not the same original, no. Uh, but I was out there, and uh, oh, not at my the niece's same niece. Okay. My uh, my niece was getting married, and uh, I came back and uh, I called her on the phone because I said, "You got to get me out of here." And she's like, "Can you hear yourself?" Because I was like saying, "I'm so proud of the things I didn't say." You know, it's like I said, I, I walked out of the room and said, I'm not dealing with this anymore. And I walked out and I said, you know, I was so proud of the things that I didn't say. And she's like, do you hear yourself? <laughs> do you hear you? And she's like, abandon yourself to God. He is the only one that's going to do this. You're not. And to make a long story short, my sister is dying. I don't particularly like her husband. And he makes me crazy. And it took me a week of writing the St. Francis prayer (laughs) over and over again for me to get to the point that I feel patience, pity, and tolerance. What a horrible life it must be to have nobody like you. Hmm. And instead of being angry at him for not making my sister's last days happy, I, I found that place. And I found that place in the program. I found that place by still at 25 years sober being able to listen to somebody else. She gave me the best advice of my life when my sister became ill. Because I am medical, she told me, she says, do you think your sister needs any more medical advice or you think she needs a sister? Mm-hmm. Mm. So I drove every three weeks, 13 hours, to go do chemo with her. And I never once asked a medical question. I never asked what they were doing. I never asked one thing. I packed a picnic lunch, we watched movies, and we laughed, and we had a great time. That's beautiful. And I will never change that. It was the best advice anybody could ever give me. In fact, it was so funny because when she started... It's the opposite of what's natural. Oh, my God, yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I never once said, what are you putting in her now? What is that? What's the dosage? You know, I never did any of that. I never even saw her original images. She fell one time and she broke her foot. My sponsor, I was talking to her on the phone. I said, yeah, she fell. She had an episode and fell. She goes, what bone did she break? And I started laughing. I said, I didn't ask. <laughs> <laughs> so, good. I mean, those are the miracles. Those are the miracles of this program is that, you know, was that a direct thing out of the big book? No. But it was somebody that I trusted that gave me some advice that I was able to utilize and turn into my own life that changed the course of what would have happened. And that's the gift of this fellowship. That's the gift of this program to me, is that as long as you sit and stay at peace, you know, or reach out and be crazy, one or the other, if you keep seeking, you will find the people that make it bearable, that make it, that that are your posse, Mm -hmm. you know, that are your people, that are all those things. And I love that about this. I love the fact that I have friends that I never wanted. You know, I have a God that I really didn't want to connect with. <laughs> and I have a life beyond my imagination. And if left to my own devices, it would not have worked out this way. <laughs> anyway, see, I told you. 
That's fantastic. And that is, uh, I'm not getting like hippie or anything like on that one. Go no, ahead, go no, for it. no, go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Um, yeah, like no, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, totally. I mean, one of the things that I, that I was hearing when you had that moment of clarity, um, from the drive meditation, stop, focus on the butterfly. Yeah. Um, and to the effect of God saying, um, how can you figure me out if you can't ha- you stand looking at you or some, something like yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the first thing that hit me in that moment was, you know, that's that amazing freedom of not having to know what God is, not having to define God. I love that freedom. Absolutely. Then I heard the same thing when you were talking about yourself versus other people. And if I know myself, then other people have their freedom to be themselves. What I thought about was the was hearing voices. <laughs> <laughs> and no acid involved. <laughs> no acid invo- involved. It's like, uh, which, which has happened to me. Which is n- actually not hearing voices. It was, I've heard my own voice mm-hmm. saying things that I would not say after asking God for help. And it happened to me with um, a prayer early in recovery. It was the first spiritual experience, really, that I had when I was, was Sunday afternoon. I wanted to drink so bad. And there was not a meeting until eight o'clock that night. And I wanted, I was going to drink. And I finally decided I'm going to have to pray because these people are talking about praying. And I've got to try it. So I'm going to say, if God, get me out of this. And my next thought was, you've always tried to get out of everything. You need to go through this. And I felt like I can go through this. Anxiety, the need to drink. I can go through it and it will pass was it, it was a feeling that came over me. But the thing about it was, was that thought, that thinking was not my thinking. I've never said, let's, let's sit in the pain and go through it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it. It was a voice from, from elsewhere. And I, re- and I recognized that at that time as being a voice of my higher power, asking for help and getting it. And, and it happens. It happens to me now. Sometimes I'll ask for help, and I'll and something different will happen. I don't know. It's it's bizarre. Bizarre. I love your use of bizarre. It's not bizarre. It's bizarre. No, a bizarre is something a that bizarre. you. It, it is a yard sale type of thing. Typically it is in bizarre. A house. It's it is bizarre. bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> um. I wanted to say also, because uh, I just kind of sat here and just watched you two and listened when you were talking about meditation and your experience of it before recovery, because I don't have any of that. All my, my entire experience of meditation is in recovery. So I don't have this, this experience that you were describing of basically trying to meditate to get high. That's kind of weird and cool. But I just wanted to like acknowledge that. Yeah, it's like uh, I was I was a spiritual seeker before I came to AA, and now you're a spiritual gas giant. And there's a now, and I have achieved gaseous form. <laughs> Can you tell? <laughs> but <laughs> say it. Why, why say is it. everybody making a face? <laughs> Everybody's making faces. Oh, please. Oh, please. Let it rip. Let it go. Don't. <laughs> I was going to say, I think we might not be able to see it, but we sure can smell it. <laughs> let, let it rip. Let's not let it rip. <laughs> right. I told you, it's just the way it is. <laughs> no, but I was trying to feel something outside of myself to connect with some some kind of thing that was greater than me. It, and I always had a sense that there was something, particularly like when I'd go to the ocean or go to the mountains, and I could feel that uh, I'm I'm small, and there is, and the universe is large, and there's something here going on that's bigger than me. So I was trying to connect with that, and I think that drinking was an attempt to connect with that. I mean, there's a reason that we call alcohol spirits. Mm-hmm. It's like trying to get the spirit. 
inside. Then, you know, we, we talk about sometimes in recovery that there's a hole in my soul that, you know, that needs to be filled and, and it's a God-sized hole. And that's what we do in AA is use our higher power and our higher power fills that hole. I didn't have that experience, though. I, I do recognize that I had a sense of, of something else out there. You know, there, there is some, some order to the world or whatever. Um, but it was an appreciation thing. But it was like, I'm not part of it. I other myself from it. Correct. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that really, I mean, a memory that stands out is driving to work one morning and, you know, sun and moon are pretty much opposite each other. The The sun's rising and the moon is setting and, and a big bird flies across this road that I'm the only one on. And, and it was just this immediate intense appreciation of all this, mm-hmm. but I'm not part of it. And where I am now is that I am connected to all of this stuff, whatever it is. And uh, when working with my first sponsor, I wrote something to the effect of, I am a drop in every ocean. Okay, that's it. That's it. It's exactly the same thing. It is. It's very (laughs) true. I mean, we're all, I mean, I've always had a belief of universal oneness. Make me a channel of your peace. That's a very true statement in my philosophy because we're all connected. We're all at peace. It's all there together. But like I said, alcohol was not my problem. It was absolutely my solution. Mm-hmm. You know, it was my solution to how to make me feel normal in a world that I didn't feel normal in. You know, I always felt that apart from, as I said, I am the classic egomaniac with the inferiority complex. You know, I'm not good enough. I'm not this. I'm too smart for my own good. All those stupid things that we tell ourselves that keep Mm -hmm. us from being a part of, you know, and it's like, that's the one thing that this program gave me was that gift to uh, have it drilled in my head that you run in the center of the herd. Yes. This is what Sam was talking about at the very beginning Mm -hmm. with the convention that you went to and you weren't feeling a part of. Exactly. And you went to some meetings Mm -hmm. and it turned around for you. Entirely came apart. Entirely, and I I've spent my whole that whole feeling of meaninglessness was I'm disconnected from the world, and by getting <sighs> drunk I would start to feel connected to everything. It worked for a long time, but it quit working, and then I came to AA and found another way of of having a feeling of being connected to the world. I mean, that's what it's all about. Yeah, I, mean, I didn't relate to mine as to my drinking as to me being connected to the world, but it certainly made it so I could be connected to you. Right. So my sense of apartness wasn't that, uh, I mean, was totally, I'm disconnected from all of this other stuff too. But I was also just, my solution, the alcohol and drug solution for me, got me connected to you. Because of one of two things. With the alcohol and drugs, I either... Got okay, I was able to drop the walls and be connected to you, or I didn't care that I didn't fit in. Right. It was either I did fit in then, or I didn't care that I didn't fit in, so I still felt okay. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. But, <laughs> I'm drunk now. But, but, but yeah, and, and, and it worked really well for a long time, and I've said many times over the years, you know, that's, it, it saved my life. Alcohol and drugs saved my life. Oh, absolutely. Um, I would not have survived my 20s if I had not had alcohol and drugs. I would have killed myself. Absolutely. And it was because of being so disconnected from people. It just backfired. It stopped working. It and, right. and then my, it caused more problems than it ever fixed. Well, that's what I, I always tell people. It's like I used for 19 years. Only the last four years were the problem. Mm-hmm. And I was an incredibly closeted user. I shocked people because I had given up drinking long before I got sober. So people would always like, but you don't drink. I'm like, really doesn't got anything to do with the exactly. other. I called the witch doctor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Again, it was just to be out of my own head. I always felt like the double face, the dual person. You know, it's mm-hmm. like they knew me this way, and yet I felt such inferiority about the things I did behind those closets, you yes. know? But everybody else thought of me this way. Right. You know, and it's mm-hmm. like, well, when I leave here. 
You don't know what's going on inside. Yeah. <laughs> so, Lorna, I want to play some of the stuff that we recorded before we started the show. Because there's a couple of things here, so I'm going to play that now. I know I had to make an amends this morning. <laughs> so, I, I was at a meeting and somebody made a joke and, I, and they said, you know, they were talking, giving a chip and they said, you know, this is... He says, by the way, I'm not a sponsor. And I said, we know. <laughs> <laughs> One of those little senses of humor. Yeah. It was just like, you know, I, I was just like, you know, because my sponsor a long time ago, I, I had the audacity, I guess, to uh, ask her. She was not nice. Let me just preface this. I, I didn't come up with kind and loving and cuddly. I came up with the, you know. Uh-huh. Or and she said, sponsor. I was talking to her and I said, you know, I've been praying for like, three years to have my smart assism removed. And she said, what would be left? Oh, you got to get a personality before you can get rid of the only one you got. Oh my God. <laughs> so, That's harsh. That is it, harsh. She, I used to call her up and say, I, I, I was thinking, and she's like, Oh, an alcoholic thinking, please entertain me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm starting to feel her that she might be my spirit. Animal. <laughs> yeah. yeah, She was fine. <laughs> That biting sense of humor is... I work on letting go of cynicism. It's so hard. I mean, it's like... It, it, it's kind of a way of life. And it, it's not good. I mean, I, I recognize it when, when it's not good. It's like, I don't need to do that. I have Sometimes a things are not really it. funny. I'm really just hurting somebody's right. feeling. I had to learn that about my, uh, my sarcasm. And, yeah. and the way I got on that was my sarcasm isn't funny. Because sarcasm is a form of humor. Yeah. But it can be really hurtful. biting. It, it can, can be, be hurtful. hurtful. It can be hurtful. It, it can I... be annoying. And just like this sarcastic sense of humor is not serving me anymore. And to come back to what you were saying, Donna, what it comes down to is as I have spent time in this program living this way of life, my tolerance for the discomfort mm-hmm. of stepping on someone's toes has diminished greatly. It just, yeah, I don't I, like it. I don't have like the it. tolerance for it. I It sucks. So I, Man, I, I, I want to it. not do it, and if, if I do it, I want to clean it up. Yeah. I've always had the difficulty because I've, I've always been sarcastic, but there's an absence of malice in it. It just mm-hmm. sounds funny in my head. Mm-hmm. You know, and right. it's still, it, it took somebody saying it's not always funny. It may not be the case so that I, it sounds like absence of malice to someone else. Right. And I really work on the fact, I mean, the people that are close to me, they, they just know. And I mean, I, I have a dark humor, always have. Yeah. And so it's just, it runs in my head. But, you know, my head is a whole different ball game, you know, so <laughs> than the average, you know. So you're like become. at work listening to the boil down and laughing. And it was it because of all our cynicism and dark humor is what you're laughing at? <laughs> oh, bit. no. A <laughs> little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's a humor that goes with my profession that, you know, we're Dark oh by God! Nature. Yes, you we're dark are. by nature, and there's <laughs> there's something you know about that that you know when I talk to colleagues, you know they get it, and we make jokes that we would never say mm. to the public. That's why we do it in private. You know? yeah. <laughs> Everybody has their own coping skills. If you if you work stressed, you find your coping skills, and you tend to find humor in all situations, even when they're not funny. You mm. know, and that's me. That's my goal is I'd rather laugh than cry, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not saying bad things don't happen. I could be the poster child for how to live through anything sober. In fact, somebody introduced me that <laughs> one time. <laughs> the poster child. Yeah. And I was like, I, I got up to the podium and I said, not really the, you know, monkey I wanted, you know, but she had, <laughs> you know, I had been through my husband's death, my sister's death, my father's death, my brother-in-law. I got a child. I got my mother's sick mother. I got... All this within a six-month time frame. Oh, wow. It was an insane time, but I did it sober. And I did it through the help of this fellowship, and I did it through the people and the steps and the God of my understanding and all those things that helped me go through it. Did I once think about a drink? Not once. But was it rough? I cried a lot. <laughs> mm, yeah. yeah. You know? No, it's yeah. not easy. Yeah. We don't get to go around it. And now we're back. Lorna, 
thanks for coming today, but I don't want you to go anywhere, but I do want you to protect your head because we have a cantankerous fowl. But it's a young one because it hasn't really grown much after, I don't remember who was it. It was Alex. It was Alex that killed our owl. Yeah, there's a baby. There's a baby it, we do, we've got a baby owl, so you know you don't have, have to worry about it doing much damage. Oh, it's time for our old timers question. Who you call it an old timer? Lorna. <laughs> <laughs> you, that's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. Well, no matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at a time. Sunny. Sunny. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Both of y'all. That kind of stung a little. It, it, it was said with love. Mm. Maybe a little sarcasm. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can post a question for us on boiledowlaa.org. We have a question. Hmm. This question is from Jonathan from Interwebia, meaning another person sent us a question from the interwebs. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. Jonathan asks, how do you keep yourself humble through your sobriety? Now that we know that Don doesn't do that, let's go to Lorna. (laughs) When I I figure that out, I'll let you know. (laughs) I I have to go with the old standard. The moment you think you have humility, you don't. Oh, but I'm the humblest person I've ever met. No, you're not. (laughs) (laughs) That joke bombs every time I share it in a meeting. (laughs) Yeah, uh, keeping myself humble is, it's about right size. It's about right size. I mean, I really have to remember that uh, I'm just, uh, I love the line of my worker among workers and all that. That changed my life. That changed my life when I stopped having to run the show. And I said, okay. It really was somebody else passing along their wisdom to me. Hmm. You know, it was somebody else, you know, handing it over to me and saying, you know, spread this. So I don't really have any claim to much. I mean, I don't even have any claim to, you know, what is the phrase? You know, it's like, it's none of my business what other people think of me. Mm -hmm. They told me it was really none of my business what I thought of me. You know? There you go. And that's just it. That's true, too. You know, and I mean, I came from the, as I said, you know, we started in the beginning. I told you they weren't exactly coddling, you know. They told me that you can't uh, think your way into right acting. You can only act your way into right thinking. Mm -hmm. And in some people's cases, all you can do is act your way into right acting. And I live by that until it really became me. I mean, I'm amazed when I share about the past. I when I do fist steps and I drag up these old crazy things that I'd done. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I, I always share. It's like I love fifth steps and I hate them. You know, because it's like, it's a reminder of some of the stuff that you've done that, you know, you, you share. So it's mm-hmm. like, you're not alone. I did those things. I had those thoughts. I did that behavior. So it's in the realization that I'm not all that in a bag of chips anymore. I'm not what I thought I was. I'm not even close. I do not do this thing perfectly, but I do know that the selfish self-centeredness that was my entire world is not there anymore. And I don't know if that's humble or not. I just know that I'm not who I used to be. Thank you. I like it. Don, what do you say? How do you keep yourself humble through your sobriety? So I think that humility is not something that I need to think about. And I don't think that it's something I need to work on. I think humility is the symptom. It's not. That's not the word. It's what happens by doing the byproduct of other behavior. And I heard an old timer say in a meeting one time, it's the first time I ever heard this, humility is knowing the true source of my power. So, which is what you were saying, Lorna. If I am trying to keep the focus off of myself and my actions and, and thinking about what's the next right thing to do, how can I be helpful to someone else? I don't have to worry about humility because that'll... That will happen out of trying to help other people. As soon as I start performing humility, it's going to be false humility. Hmm. And I've seen people do it, and they're and they're being humble and help. 
but it, it doesn't work. That's not where I need to put my attention. I need to put my attention on where can I be helpful to other people? What am I doing and, you know, is this action selfish? Do I need to be uh, doing something else to help someone else? If, I'm, if that's where I'm focusing my energies, then humility takes care of itself. Hmm. So if I, if I aim for humility, I'll probably miss it. It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Um, for me, humility, one of, if not the first time that I can say that that showed up for me, and that was saying... I don't know, but I'll find out. I lost this this need to put up this facade that I know everything. That was one of those coping mechanisms that I brought. Character defect you know, uh, that, is what it became. That's hard to do. I remember the first time I did that in my job. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole lot of ego in being competent doing a job. And I remember the first time that a designer said to me, I want you to paint these coins on the building. And I'm like, well, what is he talking about? He wants coins on the building. And, I was, and, and he kept talking about it. And it was clear I didn't qu- know what he was talking about. So I just said, you know what? I'm going to ask him. I said, I don't know what coins are. What are you talking about? It's, uh, you know, on the corner of a building where there can be these rectangles and the one will be larger, then one will be slightly smaller, then another one's larger, then yeah. another one's smaller, and it goes down the side. It's a decorative motif on the corner to finish a corner of a building in stonework. Well, that's what it was. And he said, you don't know what that is? I said, no. And so he told me. Then I knew. And it was a good thing. I needed to duplicate. <laughs> Those, yeah. Good thing you found out what it was since you that had to do it. Was, but it was hard because it was like a deflation. It had, I had to yeah. be willing to deflate my ego to, to appear to not already know everything. And it, and I have to add to that the willingness to learn. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know, but I'll find out. And but I'll find out can be simply asking the person that I'm saying, I don't know. Or it can be, you know, that person's asking me a question that I, they, they're in my field in computer work and all that kind of stuff. People are asking for some help. And I'm like, I don't know, but I'll find out. And then Mr. Google becomes my friend. But yeah. <laughs> Whereas well, if you could act like you already know, knowing you're going to find out later and kind of bluff your way through it. That's the old way of doing it. It is the old way of doing it. And it was this need to look good. It was this It was this thing that I found a long time ago of like, uh, this situation's really kind of shitty, so I'm going to look good. I'm going to be smart. And that's what I faked so much. But now it's totally genuine and I'm brilliant. Um, and humble. Very um, humble. So humble. Very, very yeah. humble. Uh, the humblest. Right. Can I touch your right side? No. Okay. I don't know about <laughs> all that, but I'm going to find out. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will tell you the one thing that my uh, original original crowd told me, or you know, that I say all the time. I called my sponsor a B, and it wasn't because her name was Betsy. You know? <laughs> what was it? When you learn to laugh at yourself, you'll never be left unamused. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I was like, but she also is the same one that told me my best thinking, my best thoughts, my best designs landed me a seat in this room. Mm-hmm. So thinking might not be your strong suit. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. So that's when I, I prayer works. It's like, you know, I don't have the answer. Let me pray out of it. The best thing anybody ever taught me was pause. Yes. You take a moment of your day and pause. Ask God where he would have you be. And I have spent many an hour with a blanket on the bathroom floor of my job, you know, sitting down Indian style and saying, okay, talk to me, you know? <laughs> Because I need your power. <laughs> I mm-hmm. need your strength. And that's the miracle of it for me. Yeah. Lorna, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for, for making that long trek from Hollywood to here. It was a pleasure. It's like I get to listen to the radio and nobody's in the car with me. It's a wonderful experience. <laughs> <laughs> Except God. <laughs> well, watch out for that pesky owl. I snagged it. It's on my shoulder now because it's little. But it does have claws, and I do wish you'd worn a shirt. Maybe you should have worn a leather shirt. (laughs) (laughs) 
Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit us at boiledowlaa.org or just email us at giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Al AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. A? A. A. There's lots of A's in there. <laughs>